Well, here we are. We've arrived at Resurrection Sunday. We started this journey of Passion Week last Sunday with the triumphant entry, Palm Sunday, Good Friday service on Friday night, and here we are on Resurrection Sunday. And as we've been looking over this final week of Jesus' life before the cross and then his resurrection, we studied last Sunday on Palm Sunday Jesus' triumphant entry uh, to Jerusalem. We saw how he exhibited that meek and lowly mindset that we're learning to emulate in Ephesians, right? You know, to walk worthy of who we've been made in Christ. We saw Jesus' unfailing love when he extended a, Israel a genuine offer of the kingdom, even though he knew they'd reject it. And then on Good Friday, we studied the love of Christ that took him to the cross to die for the very rebels who rejected him, a love for an enemy, a love for us, you and me, a love that is incomprehensible, and yet Paul tells us in Ephesians, we need to try to understand if we're going to exhibit that same kind of love toward others. Well, what does Ephesians have to say about the resurrection? Well, in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, Paul the apostle, in closing out his prayer, his second prayer in Ephesians, he said this, now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. In other words, the him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, he is doing it according to the power that works in us. So the exceeding abundant thing that Jesus is able to do, he is actually doing already in us through the power that works in us. Well, what is the power that works in us? Well, Paul told us in Ephesians 1, we read it in our scripture reading, one of his requests for them in his first prayer is that the eyes of their understanding would be enlightened so that they would know three things. Number one, what is the hope of his calling? Number two, what our inheritance is as his saints? And then number three, verse 19 tells us, and what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. So when we look at the resurrection, we see that there is a power that's working in us, and it's the same power that was working in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Now, Jesus spoke candidly about this resurrection power in John chapter 10. It's not our study today, but I just want to, in introducing what we're going to look at today, I want to recount his words. In John 10, 14, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. As the Father knows me, even so do I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Therefore does my Father love me, because I lay down my life that I might take it again. No man takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received from my Father." So Jesus spoke very candidly that he has an inherent power in him because he's God, that he, can, he has life in and of himself. John 1, 3, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. I am not self-existent. I am created. Jesus is self-existent. He has the power of life in and of himself. And so he can say, I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it up. I can't make that claim. 
I am, I am totally at the whims of what's going on around me, obviously, under the leadership and governance of God. But the point is, I don't control those things. There are lots of other things that are in control of that for me. But Jesus says, I have that power in and of myself to lay it down and to take it up. I can't make that claim. Neither can you, not sanely. What is this life, this resurrection power? Well, part of Paul's main focus as a Christian was seeking to understand the power of his resurrection. In Philippians 3, 10 and 11, he says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain to the resurrection. In other words, this is part of how he's going to reach his goal, is understanding the power of the resurrection. Somehow, understanding the power of Christ's resurrection helps us to know God better. It helps us to progress in our walk with Jesus. It helps us to grow in Christ. It helps us to experience all that God has for us. And so, Our goal this morning, or my goal, hopefully you'll be happy about that goal, is that we're going to answer two questions. Number one, what is the power of his resurrection? And then number two, why is it so important for us to grow in understanding it? To answer the first question, what is the power of his resurrection, we're going to look at Matthew's resurrection account. So let's turn to Matthew 28. We're going to look at the first 10 verses of Matthew 28 this morning. And then at the end, to answer the second question, we're going to look at Romans 6. 6 verses 1 through 15. So if you want to slide your bulletin into Romans 6, you can get there quickly at the end, but we're going to spend most of our time in Matthew 28 this morning. Matthew 28 verses 1 through 10. Now, all four gospel writers give us an account of the resurrection, but Matthew gives the shortest account of the resurrection. Um, You say, well, Pastor Will, that that makes sense. You're long-winded. You need to pick a short passage, otherwise we'll never get out of here. That's not why I picked Matthew. (laughs) Matthew, the reason I picked it is because, or I sense the Lord leading me to do that. I hope he did that. I hope I didn't pick it. But the reason I want us to look at this this morning, I think God wants us to look at this this morning, is because Matthew's focus in his resurrection account, well, the focus of his whole gospel is to prove that Jesus is the promised king of Israel, Right? That's his whole focus of his gospel. And so in trying to prove that to us, in our account here in Matthew 28, Matthew emphasizes the powerful things that happened in the resurrection more than any of the other writers. In fact, he mentions things that none of the other writers mention. And so we start here, and we're going to look for some of these things. He says in verse 1, at the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn towards the first day of the week, Sunday morning, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the tomb. Now, we know from the other gospel accounts that there are other women present besides these two women at the tomb. I don't know why Matthew didn't mention them. He's giving his perspective from the information that came his way. So he just mentions these two for some reason. But according to the other gospel writers, all of these women, we know there's at least two others, probably more, they all came for the purpose of prepping Jesus's body for burial. And as such, these women will be the first people to experience the power of the resurrection. And through their experience, Matthew gives us five truths about the power of the resurrection in these 10 verses. So verse two, we're going to begin. Matthew starts off and he says, and behold, there was a great earthquake. Now we've got to stop there. 
The word behold, it means pay attention, check this out, it's a big deal. This is important. He says, check this out. There was a great earthquake. Literally, he writes, there was an earthquake that came to be, a really, really big one. Now, the United States Geological Survey uh, says a small earthquake nearby you will feel like a sharp, small, sharp jolt followed by a few stronger shakes that then pass quickly. However, a large earthquake nearby you will feel like a sudden jolt followed quickly by more strong shaking that may last a few seconds or up to a couple minutes. The shaking will feel violent and it will be difficult to stand up. The contents of your house will be a mess. Now, Israel is situated along the Syrian-African fault line. Earthquakes are common there. Uh, two earthquakes struck in Israel in, on January 22nd of this year, just a few months ago. The reason you didn't hear about it is because it happens all the time. There's earthquakes all the time there. And so uh, the government of Israel has invested massive funding for earthquake preparedness uh, projects for their buildings to be redone and, and kind of cemented so that they'd be ready for this. In fact, they've done this because Israel gets a massive earthquake about every hundred years. The last one was in 1927, which means they're due. They know they're due. They know it's coming at any moment. And so they've invested all these funds. Now you go back we're at 2022 right now. They're expecting it at any time. And where are we at when Jesus rises from the dead? Right around 30 AD, right? Right around the same time. And so this earthquake that's in this verse here, it's recorded by Roman sources in the area. You can identify it in the geological strata of the Dead Sea today. And I do not believe it is coincidence that it happened the same moment Jesus rose from the dead. Like, I don't think, that, whoa, isn't that canny, you know? I mean, Jesus rose from the dead and an earthquake happened at the same time. Especially when we consider that Matthew says, behold, check this out. Something crazy happened. Now, studies have shown that humans can trigger earthquakes, but it requires a, a massive amounts of human activity using technology over long periods of time to create the circumstances where that happens. Uh, oftentimes, it's when they're, you know, someone's drilling or digging or doing something like that, and it create the, the technology creates pressure over time, and all of a sudden, boom, the pressure releases, and it causes the, faults to, you know, the, the fault lines to get aggravated, and so you can cause an earthquake that way. Jesus, on the other hand, triggers an earthquake like that, simply by taking his life back. That logic-defying, law-of-nature-superseding power coalescing in one moment, it rocked the very foundations of the earth, and it caused an earthquake. Which brings us to truth number one. The power of the resurrection is an out-of-this-world kind of power. It is a power that supersedes the laws of nature, and it defies human understanding. It can't be duplicated by any created thing in our universe, and therefore it doesn't operate under the same logic or laws that govern our universe. When we talk about the power that is working in us, this is the type of power we are talking about. Things like death and things like natural law no longer have the last word. They don't. There is a power working in us that supersedes their word. Jesus gets the last word because he's the one who is working in us in this way. 
Now, when the women arrive at the tomb, they find the stone rolled away and the guards gone. Why? Well, because another powerful event occurred before they arrived. Look at the end of verse 2. For the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment, his clothing was white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. Now, uh, the phrase here, for the angel, that's not what caused the earthquake. There's, a, there's, a, there's a, a punctuation mark there in the original language, which shows that this is a whole different topic that's being described. It's explaining why the guards weren't there when the women arrived. It was because <laughs> an angel came and they passed out like dead men when they saw him. Now, we know the soldiers didn't actually die because later on they report what happened to the religious leaders. In verse 11, it says, when the women were leaving the tomb, behold, some of the watch came into the city and showed, declared unto the chief priests all the things that were done. So we know that they didn't die. They came back, told the chief priests and said, we saw an angel, we passed out, and when we came to, he was still there and we ran. Now, by Roman law, they, they need to be put to death for failing to do their job. And so rather than let the truth get out, the religious leaders said, well, we'll give you a different story that the disciples came and stole the body and we'll cover for you so that you guys aren't put to death. And they said, great, we're in. And that became the lie that was spread. Now, so these soldiers didn't die But these Roman soldiers, upon seeing an angel, exit the place where God dwells, heaven, and then visibly enter our world, these hardened soldiers who knew their lives were forfeit if they failed in their duty were so terrified they fainted. So overwhelmed by fear, they fainted. And when they came to, they saw the angel sitting up there, lightning countenance. I mean, that'd be a little freaky, don't you think? Lightning countenance. I mean, special effects have nothing on reality. They fled. Which brings us to truth number two. The power of the resurrection brings the resources of heaven to bear on earth. The resources of heaven to bear on earth. And those heavenly resources are far greater than any training humans can provide. These men were trained to stand their ground in the most difficult of circumstances. But these heavenly resources are far greater than any training humans can provide or any commitment humans make to oppose what God wants. When these guards were set there, they were set there for the purpose. They said, we know this deceiver said that he would die and he would rise again three days later. Sadly, they remembered better than the disciples did. We know he said he'd rise three days later. And so we're going to set a guard here to make sure none of that happens. And you know what the angel said? Watch me. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter what your training is. Doesn't matter how organized you are. Doesn't matter how fiercely you oppose what God wants to do. When he brings heavenly resources to bear, the resources of earth do not compare. The reality that this kind of power is working in us, it changes everything because we are not limited to the resources of earth. All the resources of heaven are available to us. After this happens, the guards flee. It says the women arrive at the tomb, and now it's their turn to see the angel. But their experience is different than the guards. Look at verse 5. And the angel answered and said unto the women, Fear not, ye, which means you all. It's a good Florida word. Fear not, y'all. 
For I know that you seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. So the women come, and they're terrified. You don't say fear not to someone who's not scared. If I'm watching a movie with my kids, and it's an intense moment, and they're on the edge of their seat smiling, I don't put my hand around them and go, oh, don't be afraid. On the other hand, if they bury their head in my chest, I say, it'll be over in a couple minutes. You tell someone not to be afraid when they're afraid. And so when the women show up and they see the angel, they have the same reaction as the guards, except they don't faint, or at least it doesn't tell us they did. I don't think they probably did. And the angel says, literally, you all don't need to be afraid. You all must not be afraid. The guards should have been afraid because they were there in opposition. But you're not here in opposition. These women, they had followed Jesus And they didn't need to be afraid like the guards. And the truth is, if they stopped ignoring what Jesus said about rising from the dead, they'd be just fine. And so that's what the angel tells them. He says, ladies, he is not here, for he is risen as he said. You don't have any reason to be afraid. These women were still following Jesus, but they needed to follow him correctly. And so the angel instructs them, you cannot keep following Jesus if you're going to act like he's dead. He is not here. He is risen as he said. Come and see the place where the Lord lay. And then we're going to stop there because one of the other gospel writers tells us what happens between verse 6 and 7. You need to stop acting like Jesus is dead because you can't keep following him if that's how you're going to act. Come and see. Come and learn. Understand the truth and start following him rightly. There are so many times I will bump into believers today, those who name the name of Christ, who act like Jesus is dead, like he can't rescue their marriage or their family or their finances or help them through this difficult situation. They act like he's dead, like there's no power available to them to overcome their sin, to overcome their temptations, to overcome the challenges that are in front of them. And so the angel would say to us as well, come and see for yourself so you can get back on track. We need to understand the power of the resurrection because if we don't, we act like he's not alive or that he can't help. Now, Mark tells us they did go look inside the tomb. In Mark chapter 16, verses 5 through 7, he explains it this way. He says, In entering into the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, clothed in a long white garment, and they were affrighted. So they do look inside the tomb, and once they get inside, they get spooked again. They're there, they're, they're scared when they see the angel sitting on the stone, hey, hey ladies, you know, sitting on the stone, lightning on his face, clothed in white, in power, and they're afraid. And he says, don't be afraid. He's risen. I know you're coming to see Jesus who was crucified, but he's not dead. He's alive. He's not here. Go inside and look. And so they go inside and look. And as they walk in, they go, ah, because there's another guy in there. Now, I don't know why this guy's described as a young guy. Was the other guy an old guy? I don't know. But this guy, younger looking angel, he's in there, you know, a little bit buffer, I don't know, but he's inside and they come and they see him and they didn't expect to see him. They went in still expecting to see the body of Jesus. 
And so they go in, and when they see there's nobody there except this dude, they're totally freaked out. And so he says to them, <laughs> be not affrighted. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Behold the place where they laid him. If it sounds like a broken record, just because it, it is. There, now, my wife told me to be nice to people this morning, so I'm going to be nice. I'm not going to call anyone an idiot. There are those who, and maybe you've even struggled at times when you read the, the resurrection accounts, you're like, man, this is kind of confusing. Like one gospel writer says he's outside the tomb, another one says he's inside the tomb. Could I just maybe encourage you to just take a step back and maybe realize that you're not thinking of all the possibilities of what's going on here? Why not give the benefit of the doubt to the writer that they're, they're giving us their different perspectives, they're not telling us everything, all of them aren't saying this is exactly how it happened, I'm giving you every single detail, and secondly, how about we just take them at face value? So, you come up to the first one, Matthew tells us they saw a guy sitting on the stone outside the tomb, and then Mark tells us they saw a different guy inside the tomb. Don't assume just because they say the same thing that it's the same guy. Because I don't know about you, but when I read my Bible, God repeats himself a lot. I'll read through, and he says, hey, Will, X, Y, Z. And I'm like, all right, Lord, got it. And then I come to the next chapter, and the Lord's like, Will, X, Y, Z. And I have found in my own life that Jesus just keeps saying, Will, X, Y, Z, until I get X, Y, Z. I don't find him moving on to something new when I'm not trusting something he said to me already. I find that God is a broken record that he says we need to talk about this again and again and again until I embrace it and I start walking in it. That's what's going on here. The Bible doesn't contradict itself. These are not contradictory accounts of the gospel. What the gospels do is they give us the full picture when we put them all together. So, they're outside, and the angel says, hey, I know you seek Jesus who was crucified, but guess what? He's not dead. He's not here, just like he said. He rose from the dead. Don't believe me? Go look in and see. They look in and see. I thought Jesus would be in there. Well, he's not. It's me. Listen, just like Jesus said, I know you're here to seeking Jesus who was crucified, but he's not here. He rose from the dead. Look where they laid him. Hmm. That's what's going on here. The second angel inside the tomb repeats the words the first angel said. And then he tells them, but go your way. Don't stay here. Go tell his disciples and Peter that he goes before you into Galilee, and there you shall see him as he said unto you. Now, back to Matthew, verse 7. That's what happens. Mark 16, 5 through 7 happens between Matthew 28, 6 and 7. And then you get to verse 7. And they come outside, and the angel says to him, as they come outside, he says, and go quickly. He's continuing what the other guy had said. The guy said, the angel inside said, don't stay here. Go tell the disciples. They need to hear about this too. They need to experience what you just did. Well, they get outside, and they're kind of, what do we do now? And the angel's like, don't stay here. Go quickly, he says, and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he goes before you into Galilee. There you shall see him, lo, I have told you. 
When they go back outside, the first angel on top of the stone repeats the exhortation that the inside guy told him to go tell the disciples. But he adds the phrase, stop lingering, go quickly. Believe and obey. Keep following Jesus. Which brings us to truth number three. The power of the resurrection repeatedly brings us back to Jesus' words. These angels are a broken record. Lo, I have told you. Lo, I have told you. They say the same things because that's what the power of the resurrection does. It causes me to stop listening to what my senses are telling me because what God says is more reliable than what I think, what I see, or how I feel. The power of the resurrection says, come back here. You say, yeah, but I look and I see this. Don't look at that. Come back here. He's not dead. He's alive. Yeah, but the counselor said this, or the bank said this, or the doctor said this. Don't listen to that. Come back here. Come back here and follow him. Because what he says is more reliable than what I think, what I see, or what I feel. And you know what? It changed how these women approached life. Because unlike the guards who fled and reported a lie, these women leave obeying God's instructions, and it brings them great joy. Look at verse 8. And they departed quickly. (laughs) They've been kind of puttering around, not really knowing what to do, even though the angels had told them what to do, both of them. But now they don't waste any more time on what they thought had happened. Now they begin acting on the power of the resurrection, and it resulted in two beautiful things. Firstly, here in verse 8, it says, when they departed quickly from the tomb, it says they did so with fear, but also with great joy, and they did run to bring the disciples' word. Listen, they were still afraid, and who wouldn't be after a massive earthquake, and then you see an angel? People who saw angels in the Bible tended to be overwhelmed for days because of the experience. And yet, something else accompanying that fearful experience they were having, something bigger, it was great joy. That word great is the same word that's used in verse 2 to describe the earthquake. You see, unlike their fear, which was a normal human reaction to what was going on, the happiness they also experienced was equal to the scope of the earthquake and therefore greater than the fear they'd experienced. Which brings us to truth number four. The power of the resurrection supernaturally gives us a joy that is greater than other thoughts, emotions, or feelings that we can experience in life. And that's because the resurrection is the greatest piece of good news a person can ever possibly have. Think about it. Romans 4.25 says he was raised for our justification, that his resurrection proves that God has accepted the sacrifice and we could be right with God. That's great news. I don't ever have to walk about during the day and wonder, can I be right with God today? Was Jesus alive? Yeah, good news. I can be right with God today. I never have to worry about that. The resurrection also proves that we will live forever and that so will our friends and family who have put their trust in him. In John chapter 14, verse 19, Jesus said, Yet a little while and the world will see me no more, but you see me because I live, you shall live also. Okay, well, did he live? He did. Well, that means we're going to live too. That's great news, isn't it? 
The doctor tells you and says, you've got seven months. You go, okay, that's not the news I wanted to hear, but I have better news. He didn't stay in the tomb, which means I won't either. In 1 Corinthians 15, 20 through 26, in that great teaching on the resurrection, Paul the Apostle says, listen, Christ was raised from the dead. He's the first fruits of those who have risen from the dead. And someday we're all going to rise from the dead with him. And then he is going to take the kingdom in his hand and present it to the Father. We're going to return with him and rule and reign. What? Turn on the news. You're like, bad news. You go, but there's better news. Jesus didn't stay in the grave. He's alive. All this, it will end at some point. All this nonsense, it will be over at some point. And I'll get to experience it. I'll get to experience being with him for all eternity where righteousness covers the earth like water covers the sea everywhere. These women were absolutely miserable on the way to the tomb. They thought they would never Never, ever see Jesus again, not alive. But they left knowing this truth about the power of the resurrection, and it gave them great joy. Gave them great joy. Today started awful. It was, the, it was another day in an awful weekend. Everything we had dreamed and hoped for came crashing down. But they left the tomb completely different with great joy, the Bible tells us. Now, I said that them acting on the power of the resurrection resulted in two things. The first one was they experienced the great joy, but the second cool thing was in verses nine, is in verses 9 and 10. It says in verse 9, and as they went to tell his disciples, behold, Jesus met them, saying, all hail. And they came and held him by the feet and worshiped him. And then said Jesus unto them, do not be afraid dispelling those last fears. Go tell my brethren that they go into Galilee and there shall they see me. Matthew introduces this final truth to us with the phrase behold again. In other words, this is super important. Check it out. Pay attention. It says, behold, as they were on the way to tell the disciples, Jesus met them saying, all hail. Now, lest you think that's just some Elizabethan English for, hi, ladies. It's not. This is more than just a hello. This phrase is a greeting you would give to someone when you didn't expect to see them, but you were so happy to see them, and it communicates your your wish that things are going well for them. The idea that Jesus, when he meets these ladies and he says, all hail, he says, I am so happy to see you, and I hope things are going well for you. And they were. Everything was better at this point. Things were going very well at this point. They're not afraid anymore. Now that they've seen the risen Christ, he tells them, don't be afraid. It wipes away all of it. And the Bible tells us they grab hold of him as if they never again will let him go. It says they held on to his feet. I don't know if your kids have ever done this, but when I was a kid sometimes, and my parents said, time to go, and I didn't want to go, there would be frequent times when they would start going, and I would hold on to a leg. And I would be like, no, we're not going. And then they'd you know, do the parent thing where they kind of drag the kid behind them. And eventually, at some point, I thought, this is not good. And I'd get up and follow. But that's, that, they didn't fall at his feet. It says they held his feet. And the word here, hold, it means to seize or arrest. Your legs are under arrest, Jesus. You're not going anywhere anymore. 
Why did they do that? Because death is awful. It's awful. It brings an immediate end to your interaction with a person. You don't get five more minutes. When you don't want to say goodbye to someone you love, you you might take extra time as you're walking out the door. But when death happens, that's it. You don't get a final conversation after that. You don't get one more opportunity to talk. And then you might afterwards turn to call them, but there's no answer. You might think to tell them about something, but you, you can't, even though everything in you wants to. That was the mindset these women had when they came to the tomb. I'll never talk to Jesus again. I'll never hear his voice again. Everything we had is over. Could you imagine what it was like to see him just pop in, like really there and talking to you? How you doing? So good to see you. It was something they never wanted to lose again. And by seeing their Jesus who come back from the dead, they finally realized they could never lose him again because their friend and teacher was also God. And God, well, he's someone you can always talk to, right? He's someone who talks back to us. He's eternal. He's all-knowing. Not even death can stop him. And their realization of that, we find it in their worship. Prior to this, they had never worshiped Jesus before, but now they know who he is. And they cling to him and they worship because they finally get it. Which brings us to truth number five. The power of the resurrection is stronger than any other power, even the power of death. That's because it's the power of God, his inherent omnipotence that can't be comprehended or limited by us or anything in creation. Well, after these women experience that inherent omnipotence, they worship him. Jesus says, let me go, ladies. You can't keep this to yourself. Go tell the others. They need to experience this too, which means we need to experience it as well, right? We need to understand it, which brings the importance of Resurrection Sunday down the corridors of 2,000 years of time into this very room this morning. We have answered this question, what is the power of the resurrection? We looked at five truths of what that means. But I want to close out our time this morning by looking at why one of our chief goals with Paul needs to be growing in our practical understanding of his resurrection power. So let's turn to Romans 6 before we bring the kids up to sing. We're going to read the first 11 verses here. I'm not going to comment on most of it. I just want to bring up two thoughts. Paul the Apostle, he spent chapters 3 through 5 describing to us this beautiful truth of justification by faith alone. And having explained to us that all our sins are washed away, that we stand completely righteous before a holy God by our faith in Christ. He says this, well, what shall we say then? What do we conclude to that truth? Shall we continue in sin so grace may abound? I mean, should we just keep on sinning because doesn't that mean God just shows us more grace and shows how awesome he is? And what does Paul answer to that? 
God forbid, don't ever think that. That's not the right response to all God's done for us. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? Don't you realize that so many of us as we're baptized into Jesus Christ, we're baptized into his death? Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death that, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also be in the likeness of his what? Resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. What does it mean that the same power that was working in Jesus when God raised him from the dead, what does it mean that that same power is directed towards us and is working in us? It means we are no longer slaves to sin. No. Verse 7 through 11 explains how we practically apply that truth. 4, verse 7, he that is dead is freed from sin. Now, if, should say since, since we're dead with Christ, well, we believe that we shall also live with him right? We believe everything we've talked about that since we're dead with Christ, well, we're going we're to rise with Him too. We're going to live with Him. But that's not just what Paul's talking about, not just our future resurrection someday. He says, verse 9, knowing that Christ being raised from the dead dies no more. Death has no more dominion over Him. For in that He died, He died unto sin once, but in that He lives, He, literally, it's a present here, He ever lives unto God. So, Jesus rose from the dead. He never dies again. He's constantly living in this resurrection power. I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it up. He's constantly living in this power to take it back up again. Here it is, verse 11. Likewise, since henceforth we should not serve sin, since the body of sin might be destroyed, knowing that that's true, likewise, therefore, he says, Reckon you also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Guys, we're not just waiting for a future resurrection. Eternal life is not just the future. It is now. There is resurrection life working in us now. You and I do not have to sin. We can live for God by letting the resurrected Christ, the one who defeated death, live through us. And so I ask you this morning, is that your experience? If you're a Christian this morning, do you believe that? Or you, do you believe you're still a slave? Do you believe everything we spent all that time building and, and working into our hearts as we studied the first three chapters of Ephesians and said, this is what it means to be in Christ. Do you believe that's true? Or do you think you're still a slave? Do you believe that you can live a life that is worthy of the name of Christian? Can I exhort you? Don't celebrate Resurrection Sunday without choosing to live that. Don't celebrate Resurrection Sunday without choosing to place your trust in the power of Jesus' resurrection. Because if you leave here today thinking you're still a slave in that area of sin in your life or that area of temptation or that relationship that, doesn't, that you keep having problems with or your marriage or your parenting or whatever it might be, then you have missed the point of Resurrection Sunday. You are acting like Jesus is still dead. Don't do that. 
I would also ask you this morning, if you're a Christian, do you want to live that worthy life? Or are you satisfied with living life on your own terms? Are you grateful for all the risen Savior has done for you? Are you grateful for the new life he's given for you, uh, uh, to you, for the resurrection power he's made available to you? If that's not, not been the case and you've been content, satisfied living life on your own terms, then don't celebrate Resurrection Sunday without repenting and changing your attitude to a right one toward the power of Jesus' resurrection. And then lastly, if you're not a Christian this morning, do you realize your need for a Savior? The Bible tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. The very concept of Passion Week is that we need a Savior. But He's a risen, awesome, powerful Savior who offers you eternal life. Not just someday, but now. If you'll repent and you'll trust in Him. Do you realize your need for a Savior? Or do you think you're fine on your own? Do you see a need for the cross and for the resurrection and for Jesus to be your king? Or will you reject him like so many did at his trial? Like Pilate who said, I'm innocent of this blood. I'm not that bad of a person. Or like the the people who said, his blood be upon us and upon our children's children. Killing him is no big deal. Ignoring him is no big deal. Rejecting him is no big deal. The Bible says that Jesus is going to come back to judge the world in righteousness. That's something we will all face someday. The cool part is if you're a kid, then all you hear is, well done, good and faithful servant. Come on in. But if you're not, the Bible says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. If you're not a Christian this morning, today's the day to change that, to make Resurrection Sunday the best Resurrection Sunday you can have, the day you gave your life to Christ. I want to leave you with the words of a, lyrics to a song that has been a real blessing to me lately. It's called, Look Where I'm Standing Now. And then we'll pray, and the kids will come up, and they'll sing. But the lyrics go like this. It says, out of the wilderness, into your deliverance, look where I'm standing now. These hands that once were chained, now lifted high in praise, look where I'm standing now. I stand on the chain-breaking Miracle-making, powerful name of Jesus. On the body-raising, prodigal-saving, powerful name of Jesus. Hallelujah, I'm free. Let's pray. Lord, we are so grateful, Lord, that you came and you died for our sins, that you're the perfect sacrifice, and that if we put our trust in you, all those sins can be washed away and we can be yours forever. Lord, that you can work in our lives through the power, same power that was working in Jesus. When you raised from the dead, you can work in us that we could be forever different, no longer slaves to sin. Lord, you know every person who's out here this morning, those who are believers, Lord, who have said, Lord, I want this Resurrection Sunday to be meaningful to me. I want to surrender everything. I don't want to live like you're dead anymore. Lord, as you see these folks who are committing that to you, will you fill them with yourself? Will you fill them with this power? Will you work in their hearts and their minds and in their lives that they might be different, 
Lord, for those who are maybe have been backslidden or living life on their own terms of saying, Jesus, you've been so good to me and I'm, I want to be grateful. I'm choosing to turn around to repent. Lord, will you forgive them and will you welcome them back into your arms and will you fill them with the power to live out their commitment this morning? And then with every eye closed, every head bowed, if you're here this morning and you would like to repent of your sins and trust Christ as your Savior, just lift your hand high because I'd like to pray with you this morning as you, you make that step to turn from your sins and to place your trust in Jesus Christ. Anybody this morning, you just lift that your hand high if you've, you've never done that and you want, you want to make that commitment this morning. Say, I want to follow Jesus. I don't want to live my way on my terms anymore. Anyone this morning? Before we close. Lord, you know every heart, you know every person where they're at. And so Jesus... If anyone out there is praying that prayer, saying, Lord, I repent of my sins. I put all my trust in Christ. Lord, will you wash them clean, make them your child. Come and live inside their heart. Come live through them, through the power of your resurrection. We thank you for that blessing, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.